Heard this rich fellow's been looking for a few blades. He says weird things have been happening on his family's lands, and he means to set them right. Uh, I'm not bad with a blade, and I'm a fair to decent shot with my flintlock. Seems a man were to be making nice with somebody that's got himself a manor and all. Well, that would be a good way to set himself up proper for life. How hard could it be, right? The town on the estate's been filling up with all kinds. Some folk like myself, of a few of the righteous sort, talking about cleansing this and sanctifying that. They don't worry me. In fact, it would be nice to know the Almighty was with us in this cursed place. But there are some. Some don't sit right with me. Some that's dressed up like harlequins and pocked men wearing masks that look kind of like bronzes. No, sir. Whatever we're in for, it ain't going to go easy. We didn't all come back from that last one. There were... There were things there. Things I'd never seen. I... I... I don't... Don't make me go back there. Don't make me go back again. I, I can't do it. Not in that place. Darkest Dungeon is a PC game currently available in early access on Steam. It is a game of gothic adventure through a Lovecraftian nightmare. But it does much more than that. Send a man into a nightmare once and he'll be shaken. A few more times and he may start to crack. Even the strongest can only be asked to stare into the face of madness so many times without coming back changed. In this episode of Bonus Content, two men who normally talk about tabletop games... Mike Perna from Game Store Profits and Peter Martin from Saving the Game sit down to talk about how this game tackles character development, mood, and the issue of mental illness, among other things. Welcome to the Darkest Estate. We hope your stay here will be a pleasant one. Alright guys, welcome to this episode of Bonus Content. If you're new to the podcast, what Bonus Content is, is anything that kind of fits outside of normal. So, whether it's the content itself, or it's something that has to be in outside of our normal podcast schedule, that's what Bonus Content is. And I recently was able to get my hands on a copy of a game called Darkest Dungeon, you heard in the intro. Uh, I was... Really drawn to this game, really interested in it, and so I actually got connected with the guys out at Red Hook who make the game and said, please, please, please let me have a copy of this, and they were very gracious and let me do that as long as I talk about it, and that's what this is. Well, I started to put this together, started to say, man, I'm excited about talking about this, and what did I find? Here comes Peter from Saving the Game saying he loves this game and would love to talk about it. So Peter... Tell me about what, what drew you to this game. Well, the first thing that pulled me in, and I think we kind of were kind of on the same page here, is I took one look at the artwork and I was like, oh my gosh, that game looks like it was drawn up by Mike Mignola. It's 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 literally like you're reading pages of Hellboy. Yeah, the uh the art style is really striking, although as I've gone through and played the actual game, I think <laughs> I know this is probably going to be sacrilege to some people, but I think the art team on this may actually be a little better than Mignola. Um, it's, I was about to say, it's, it's outdoing Mignola being Mignola. Yeah. 
the figures are a little less exaggerated and a little more detailed, but it's got that same kind of like deep shadows and um, large areas of black with uh, colored accents and stuff. It's a very cool art style. It works perfectly with the theming of the game. So why don't you give a little bit of a summation? You know, the intro kind of sets that up, the the vibe of it, but it doesn't really go into a lot of detail. So you've played this game a lot longer than I have. Oh, I've yeah. racked up about 30 hours. You're something ridiculous. Uh, 63, according to Steam. Okay, so you have literally played twice as much as I have. Tell me, from your experience, just a short version summarizing what this game's about. So the the basic premise of this game is that you're kind of, um, you're like the commander in XCOM. You're this off-screen figure that's kind of administering things. And you've gotten this letter. This is all in the intro cinematic and I believe in the trailer too, so this isn't really a spoiler. But you've gotten this letter from this ancestor of yours who um, went to the dark side pretty badly and is kind of a combination of scared and repentant about that and begs you to come home and hire some heroes and clean up the the corruption and the mess that he's made delving into like all these evil catacombs under the family manor. So you start out and you've got an initial team of two mercenaries. Uh, they're always the same guys. You've got a a crusader, which is kind of the paladin character, and a highwayman who's kind of the rogue, actually. He's got a, um, a pistol and a knife, and they kind of fight their way up to the manor, and then you can start hiring more. There's a stagecoach that comes through that drops off new uh, heroes, and there's a whole bunch of different types, and there's actually three more on the way. Uh, later in the podcast, I'd like to talk about some of the archetypes because some of them are really interesting. Yeah, we'll definitely talk characters. So you um, you hire a couple of these people, and you put together a team, and you send them down into what's currently one of three different areas uh, in and around this family estate. They've actually got two more planned. Uh, those are not in the current early access build. So your your folks go through and... They clean out the monsters, or they reconsecrate corrupted altars, or they do any number of things kind of in this dungeon crawly kind of a thing. And as they're fighting, they, you know, they take damage like you would in any RPG or strategy game, but you also have to manage their stress. And I think that's the place, that stress management, where this game really shines and becomes interesting. Wouldn't you say, Mike? Oh, it... it is pretty much what sets it apart from other games like this. When I first heard, saw the thing for Darkest Dungeon, because uh, it started out as a Kickstarter, and I remember seeing... I didn't look into it much because I have pretty much sworn off backing video games anymore because the last time I backed a video game, it took two years to see the product. Wow. So I, I, I don't do video games anymore. But I remember, I remember seeing the video and going... Okay, this looks kind of fun, but I I didn't know if it was going to have that thing that sets it apart that that demands that I buy it. Yeah, I'm going to tell you that the stress management is that thing. Yeah, it 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 is that thing that sets it apart from other dungeon crawls where you're just going through room to room of a dungeon killing things because anything has the potential to set off the the, the stress. It's actually like stress damage. You can actually get resistance to stress damage. 
Yeah, you've got a you've got a zero to a hundred stress track, which fills up and sometimes empties a little bit throughout various events in in the dungeon. So, um, it, one of the things that I found interesting is you can get a little bit of a low level stress climb as the characters just walk down the hallways. You know, it's oh, like yeah. it's dark and scary down here. And they've been fighting, and some of them are probably wounded. And it's like you'll get just this little trickle of stress sometimes, and not all the time, but often enough where occasionally somebody will hit their breaking point between rooms. And well, well and you have to you have to to maintain a level of torchlight. You do, yeah. There's a light system. If you let that torch, like it's not like some games where darkness equals dead. It's not, it doesn't do that. You can walk through this dungeon on no light at all. It is possible. But when your torch is fully lit, everything's right with the world. You'll surprise bad guys. You will, your guys will be okay. Things will be going well. At about 75%, your guys start to get stressed out because there are shadows creeping in. At 50%, you start getting so stressed out that it actually affects your combat you are worse at combat because you're so worried about what's in the shadows. Less than that, I'm going to tell you I've never let it go less than that. Because, because it is, it gets bad I when, have. when your light goes out. You have? Yeah, I, I was, have. I was really curious as to what, it, I, I've been loading myself down with torches. The stress gets, the stress gets higher. Uh, and both you and the other side will crit more often. The, the stakes basically just go up as you're, as you're going down in light levels so you can have actually some really impressive crits at total darkness but so can the enemy (laughs) i found one item once that gave you a huge bonus if the light was under 50 percent yeah i've i've seen a couple of those too i've never had the guts to use one but i i've been terrified i have been utterly terrified of those (laughs) yeah there's a there is definitely, if you've got kind of an over-leveled group and they're at high health and low stress, you can you can squeeze some extra rewards out of the dungeon for going in with it totally dark. But man, you definitely want those torches there because if stuff starts to go south in a fight, you want to pop like three, four torches at once and light the area back up again. There's no worse feeling than having the only way that you can get the torch level up to be a couple of skills from your Vestal, which is basically your Cleric, and your Crusader, which is basically your Paladin. There's like, right. what, two or three skills between the two of them that'll raise the torch light level by just this little sliver. <laughs> and, and nothing says your guy even came with that skill. You might have to train them. Right. And here was uh, just, just uh, I, I I don't even know where to go next. There's so much in this game that is worth talking there, about. There's a lot of different systems. And the thing that's really interesting is as you're playing it, it doesn't really feel like there's a lot of different systems because they're all so right. unified. They all work together so well. But we started to talk about the um, the stress and like the kind of mental illness system. Yes. And since that's one of the most unique things, I'd like to touch on that first and then we can dig into some Definitely. of the other stuff. So Definitely. Um, when you're character stress track fills up oh that yeah oh yeah you'll get this moment and this is one of those things where it's like oh man this could go either way it it pops up with the name of the character and it says their resolve is tested do you want to take it from here 
what happens when you're... And, and this has been a complaint that some people have had about this game because some people will talk about the fact that this is RNG heavy. This is random number generator heavy because you basically have a 50-50 shot here. If it goes well, you will see your guy in this amazingly drawn image of like themselves in mid-combat or mid-glorious like shout. And it says things like, uh, like powerful and, and stalwart you know, is one of my stalwart yeah. courageous. And it basically gives him a boost. It gives him a huge bump. His stress will go down like 50%, if not more. And he, he will just be ready to just go back into the fight well, and just kick butt. And the other thing that's cool is, okay, you, you get that. And then you get like this little bit of narration from the narrator, which is another system we should get into. Oh, but the narrator. My, one of my favorite ones is, is for uh, Powerful. And he does this, anger is power. Unleash yes. it. And it's like yes. your guy, half of his stress vanishes. Like five stress points comes off. Everybody else in the party he whips out some kind of, you know, just incredibly awesome little line of dialogue that pops up over him. And then oh, yeah. for the rest of that dungeon, he's just randomly handing out bonuses to himself and the rest of the party. And and then we get to the other side. Yeah. <laughs> because because when things go well and he's handing out blessings and wonderment and bonuses when things go well. Let me tell you about some of the things that happen when it goes poorly. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you just... Just some of the ways that, first of all, the artwork completely changes. Instead of having that courageous, well-drawn, amazing, you have this twisted version of your person as they are basically shrieking in agony. And they just look utterly despondent, too. The, wor- the, the worst of these, I have to say, has to be the leper. Oh, yeah, with the mask and stuff. I don't want to go too much into it because we're going to have a whole section about talking about the characters in a minute. But the leper wears this mask... Uh, that it, it is just this bronze mask. Like, uh, the Man in the Iron Mask, if you've ever seen images of somebody illustrating that story, imagine that face. When his goes wrong, you just see him tear off that mask, and it's just his pockmarked waste of a face, and he's just screaming. I'll tell you what, man, that it, it can be unnerving. Yeah. Well, and well, and especially when that, with the art style. Oh, Yeah. But when that happens, like, some of the ones I've seen are paranoid, fearful, selfish. Abusive has got to be the Abusive worst. is amazing. So what happens is that depending on which one you get, your guy starts basically not listening to you, for starters, and just insulting every other person. Yeah, they say stuff that stresses out the rest of the party. Occasionally they'll attack themselves. My favorite one was when you have abusive and the guy, uh, one of the other characters misses their target. <laughs> it's like, oh, you worthless children. And yeah, the abusive character will start saying, you know, you are a terrible person. How dare you have no business in this step back and let me hand let the adults handle this. <laughs> and that poor other guy's stress meter goes up and shoots up. Uh, I think there's there's. Uh, fearful will start saying we're all gonna die this is all hopeless we have no you know we're all gonna die here and it ruins everyone's day and uh and and that though what we haven't noticed is those conditions the negative ones when you go back into town whether you're successful or not when you go back into town that's still a thing yeah that doesn't go away 
there are actually things that you have to send your people to in town to fix that. And you can either send them through entertainment, which is to send them to the tavern, and they'll be drinking or gambling or visiting a house of ill repute. Or there's the abbey, which is the like religious version, where you can have like penitence, you can pray, you can meditate. And each one has their own flair. And I think at this point we have to start talking about the permanent bonuses and, and minuses. Yeah, that can so be put on a character. Those, those things like abusive or paranoid or irrational, which is actually my favorite one. Will, That's a good one. Will, um, once you've gotten the character stress reduced to zero, which you, you, know, you send them through the, the tavern or the abbey, those will come off. However, you can acquire positive and negative traits in the dungeon from other various things. So um, as you're walking along, you can investigate, uh, like, one of the things down in the area where the swine are is there's this, like, this board with all of this dirty cutlery in it, and you can get tetanus from that. Um, yes. You, Lockjaw yeah. is a favorite of mine. Yeah. You can uh, you can get rabies from rabid enemies. You can yes, you can you can get syphilis from a bookcase, which I have no idea how that works. But <laughs> it's happened but, to my but even then, before. I will tell you that even you, you'd think that the you know, going to the, the the nice good places will clearly just give you the benefit of fixing the problem. No, it doesn't. Not all the time. Yeah, there's a sanitarium for the permanent stuff, but right. I've had a situation where I sent a guy to the bar to relax. He became an alcoholic. Now he will only relax at the bar. He must go to the bar. And if you have somebody in that spot already, this guy won't go anywhere else to feel better. Yeah. This is this also bears mentioning there's a limited number of slots for each type of stress relief. It, it starts out at one of each and can go up to three of each. But there's this keeper character who's kind of the caretaker of the estate, and he's always in one of those six slots. And it's and really frustrating at the beginning when you've got somebody that will only meditate, and he's in the cloister and won't leave. Right. The keep that you know when I when I first saw that I go, why do we even have the keeper? What is that a thing? I went two weeks in. I go, oh, oh, now I know why the keeper's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, and I will tell you what the, the permanent stuff doesn't just focus on the physical stuff. Like we we joked about that, but it really does have like mental situations that that can tweak the game. Some of them not overtly, and some of them very prominently. Yeah, you'll get people that have, um, and this is this is where the some of the interesting mental illness stuff comes in because it's not there's the there's the uh, stress track which it will kind of trigger things, but it's not like in Call of Cthulhu where you've just got a sand meter that goes down. These right. characters will get actual issues and problems. They'll, they'll develop um, phobias or manias where they're um, scared of something and suffer penalties around it, or they have an unhealthy obsession of something or other and will, you know, jump at it without... Um, Without your telling them to, and can get themselves oh, into trouble that. that way. Uh, one of one of the uh, the easiest ones to describe is sometimes they just get really greedy, and yeah. there you'll get that character even if they're all the way at the back of the line, and you're having the person in front open this treasure chest or this locked cabinet or whatever. The other guy will jump the line and trigger it themselves, and, they, and sometimes tr you know trip a trap and get poisoned or start bleeding, or it's 
it can cause all kinds of problems. Which is particularly annoying when you have things like masochist. Oh yeah. Because they'll throw themselves at stuff. Yeah. It 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 is really, really it's frustrating in the most beautiful well, way. Well and they'll possible. stop you when you try and heal them too, when they've got that one. That's actually one of the temporary traits that you can acquire from your stress track maxing out. But yeah. Yeah, that that gets frustrating. You've got a guy who's at death's door and you're trying to to bring him back and he's like, "No, I'm good." No, I'm good. I'm good. It's like, "No, dude, you're you're really not good. I could knock you over with a feather right now." Well, and then I I kind of want to, you know, transition a little bit into the actual gameplay because one of the things that, you know, kind of branching off of that, uh, where your guy is, you, you it's all kind of side scrolly in in when you really break it down, it's a 2D side-scroller, but it's just you walk down the hallway, and you walk in order. And that order is important. Where your guy is in that order depends, it, it completely changes what they can do. Yeah, there's four slots in the, uh, there's four slots in the marching order for the, the party. So the guy in the front and the guy right behind him are usually your tanks. Um, you'll have like the Hellion or the Leper in those spots, and then the ones behind him are the support characters, but every class, uh, with a couple of exceptions, I don't think the leper has anything that can be used from the back ranks at all. No, the leper has to be in the first or the second, otherwise he is useless. Yeah, which, you know, is made up before by the fact that he's the tankiest tank that ever tanks, but we'll we'll get to him later. We'll get, yeah. Um, <laughs> but most of the character classes have skills that can be used from certain ranks and on certain ranks. So, like... Um, the grave robber is a really good example. She's, you know, mm-hmm. she's got a bunch of range skills and stuff, but she's also got a pickaxe. Well, she's got skills that she can use in the first, second, or third ranks, but if she's all the way back in the fourth, she can't reach anymore, so she can't use them. Or if she's all the way up in front, she's too close in and can't use them. And if you've got a character who's specced out for being in, like, the second or the third rank and somebody pulls them to the front, which some monsters will do, that's bad. <laughs> I will tell you that one of the most annoying things ever was when I had a group where my first two guys were the Leper and the Crusader. And the way these two characters were, they needed to be in the first and second position. I went to fight a couple of monsters, and my guys got surprised. Oh, and that shuffles your marching order. It shuffled my marching order, which put those two guys in the back. Which meant I had to spend my entire first round putting them back in the front. While the monsters are beating on you. While the monsters are attacking me. It, yeah, it, the order is huge. And what kind of the reason I, we got onto this from the whole, you know, guys don't always listen to you. Um, one of the, the, I forget which one it was, but it, I think it was Irrational. Yeah, it was. It was Irrational. My guy had the Irrational problem. And he got moved. And I'm like, no, no, I need you up in the front. So I tried to move him. And all of a sudden, this little text bubble popped up from him. He says, what, what, you want me in front so you can pick my pocket? I'm not doing that. <laughs> and his turn was over. Like, ah. I'm like, what? I'm like, what do you, but you need, you can't do anything from that spot. I need you <laughs> up there. Hence the irrational descriptor. Yeah, that, that'll, like, you'll get a fearful one and they'll start backing up in the order. And it's like, dude, the the guy behind you can't do anything from the front row. <laughs> right. 
So, I mean, oh, it's it's such a beautifully made game that yeah. way. Because I found myself I found myself on a number of occasions just saying, I I I I can't stand these people. I can't stand these people. I I don't want to be playing this game right now. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, after about 10 or 15 minutes of just walking away, I'm like Dang it! I could probably do one more dungeon. I could probably go in one yeah. more time, right? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you get you get frustrated. You quit out of it, and then it's like an hour later. It's like you know, the frustration has ebbed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I could go back in there, and you know, the game is kind of awesome. So let's talk but, about yeah. the characters a little bit. Cause I, I, w- I was just about to say the same thing. We've kind of we've kind of like had that moment of pause. And now let's talk about the pretty. Okay, so <laughs> there's um, there's currently in the game there's let's see here uh, one two three four five six seven eight nine ten there's ten characters in the game and there's three more planned. So there's a wide variety of these different character classes. So first off. Who's your favorite one mechanically, and who's your favorite one in terms of lore and design? Because those are two different entries for me. You know, I'm honestly going to say it's kind of the same for both. Okay. And, and I don't know. It's the Jester for me. Really? It, it A very close second with the Leper, because he's just awesome. Yeah. But I don't know if it was just the fact that I had... Uh, the first game I, I went, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I burned all my money way too quick, and I just kind of found myself getting stuck. So I had to stop. I miss... I had a jester in that first game. His name was Bostel. And Bostel was amazing. I love that guy. He's super good with his knife. On those rare occasions when he had to get shoved back, that was when he busted out the guitar and, and boosted up the entire party. I... I love just the ridiculousness of the Jester. The Jester is There's... interesting, too, in that you cannot spec him where he is able to use all of his skills from any spot in the order. He no. will always have something that requires him to move. And in fact, a lot of his abilities cause him to move in order to do them. His basic attack brings him to the front of the order. Yeah, which can be really useful when your order gets scrambled. Right. So no, I I absolutely definitely love the Jester. And plus I I'm a big fan of now a lot of people will will co- completely contradict me on this. I have always been of just downright fascinated with anything like dark circus themed. Heck, it's why when I'm when I play uh Doomtown, I often play the Fourth Ring. Because just that idea of the the twisted circus has always been in the back of my head, and the jester. I mean, granted, he's based more on the the old school uh, dramatis personae of the Harlequin, but oh my goodness, he's so cool! I just love everything yeah, about him. He is really cool. My my top two actually are the bounty hunter mechanically, because he's so versatile. He can screw with the enemy's order. He can pick off high-value targets. He can mark stuff for um, other characters in the party. He's he's very good with an axe. Yeah, he's very good with an axe, and he's very good with that hook and chain thing that he's got. Yeah. But my favorite one in terms of design and lore has got to be the leper. He reminds leper. me of a tanky version of Edward Norton's character in Kingdom of Heaven, and he's just awesome. 
the the whole lore behind the leper is fascinating to me. It's basically saying that these guys realize that they are on the verge of death. Their body will eventually waste away to nothing and they will be useless. So they decide in an act of either religious fervor or personal just outright, you know, for lack of better term, balls to the wall, just ridiculousness. I'm going to throw myself into this battle and kill anything in front of me because I might as well go out fighting instead of wasting away. I love that. Yeah, and he's this huge hulking dude all wrapped up in bandages with this big broken executioner sword and... He's just a, it's a really uh, the, cool The design. broken sword, I completely forgot about the broken sword. That is, I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's just, it's an amazing piece of character design. I, I love the mask. I love the huge bronze chest plate that he wears. It's just, it's a, a really cool, I'm probably going to play a character like that the next time I do like traditional fantasy. I, yeah. <laughs> I really like that design. Here, here's an interesting question, though. Is there anyone you kind of wish you never got in your party. Like, is there any class that you, if it shows up in the stage coach, you're just like, I, I don't need you. No, no, I've, and I think that's another strong point of this is I've found uses for all of them. For a while, I was having trouble making grave robbers and occultists work. And then I really started to figure out kind of the occultists healing skill, while not the most reliable thing in the game can heal way more than any other healing skill. I mean, he can put, when it's fully specced out, like 16 points of health back on somebody. And the the only thing is you have to make sure you're also packing a lot of bandages. Or you've got a plague doctor. Or you've got a plague doctor. And the, the grave robber has a bunch of really good ranged attacks, so she can just hammer on people from the back and middle rows. But... Oh, if you made me pick a least favorite, it probably would be the Grave Robber. I, she just doesn't hit as hard as some of the other ones, and as cool-looking as the character is, just I'm the person that throws knives and hits things with a pickaxe is a little dull compared to all the really cool concepts in the the rest of the game. How about you? Who do you not like to see on the stagecoach? You know, I uh, it, it really does depend... Because one of the things I love about this game is is that it's not the same rote abilities every time. Different guys will come on the stagecoach, and depending on, you know, again, random number generator, you don't know which abilities they start out with. And so while I say that I've had some occultists in my group that are really cool and really powerful and help the party a lot, I've had some that have had just a terrible combination of abilities where they'll mark a guy, sure, but it, it'll do, like, one damage if it hits. Or, you know, they'll pull a guy, maybe, occasionally. Yeah, if you get the two curses, the pull ability, and, like, the dagger strike, you basically have a useless character. Right. So, depending... He he has been kind of... Dep- it's really dependent on which set of skills he gets. But even then, I will tell you that I've had one guy that was really, really good, and he worked really well in my group. So, I will tell you, I'm it, never sad to see another Crusader or Leper. <laughs> I, I love, I love the Leopards. The Crusaders are interesting, uh, just because they have some really cool. Like, I love how their abilities thematically are like like pronouncements against evil. Yeah. 
and it does huge damage to, like two guys. Like I love that. Yeah, that um that zealous accusation thing. He holds up like this big yeah. glowing scroll and like the two enemies in the it's it, it looks almost like Warhammery when he does that because it's this big like you know impressive looking scroll and it shoots like this holy light at the guys and you know they the skeletons or whatever you're fighting kind of reels back and it's oh it's so cool all right let we talk about the, the characters on on the positive side on the guys that we love to see and the guys that are in our group and are fighting against evil talk to me about some of your the favorite things or even the stuff that you don't like about the guys on the other side of this fight oh <sighs> Okay, there are there are two enemies in this game that I always cringe when I see. I have a couple myself, so I'm curious to see if we have overlap there, here. The skeletal nobles, that yep. stupid tempting goblet ability that tempting, puts like yes, twenty the... stress on your guys. <laughs> and I, I actually include the 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 vomiting pigs on this too. They're, I consider the yeah, they're deal. the same enemy with a different skin, basically. And then those cultist sorceresses that just scramble yep. your order and stress out your heroes are just the worst. Not, o- not only do we have overlap, we picked the exact same tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there. I I would much rather go up against one of those um, those huge like corpse eater things with like the you you've seen the large version right with all the blinking eyes yep. and stuff. Those things yeah. do a lot of damage, but I would much rather tangle with a couple of those than the. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that we I w- mentioned. I will tell you what. I will tell you what. The, I, I have been in a, a group where, like, the first room I walk into, first hallway, fight, and it's one of those skeletal skeletal courtiers or whatever. Yeah. And they just dump. It's they have to be in the back to do it because when they're up in the front, they don't. They don't. They do different abilities, which is why if I have any character that can pull a guy from the back to the front. They are always the target because I need them up in the front because they are worthless when they get there. But in the back, they just tip their little cup of awful. And the stress damage, like the actual physical harm they do is negligible. Yeah, it's like one or two points of damage even if they crit you. I have had, from word go, first fight had no stress to three of my four guys being topped off. Wow. Because... I keep because because one of the other problems with the skeletal guys, their dodge is insane. Oh, I know. They're you can you can swing like, you know, the the blinding gas at them and the ethereal artillery and all kinds of stuff and they they evade what? Probably at least one attack in 3 even with hard striking, you know, specked out heroes. Mhm. Oh yeah. No, no, they're 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 the bane of my existence. Well, and the other thing that's really <laughs> great about them too is the sound design. They they oh, yeah. there's like this little splash noise, and then there's this hiss when it hits. Yeah. And something else that we should probably mention: there's not a lot of animation in this game. It's it's just no. a few frames here and there. It's really beautiful hand drawn artwork, but and there there's like lines that convey motion and stuff, but it really does feel like those little cardboard stand-up things that you can get for like a tabletop rpg or a strategy board game there even when they're the characters are walking there's what maybe three four frames of animation or so oh yeah it, it's it's hardly like intense 3d graphic engines to run this yeah thing. there's definitely no mocap and in, in play here yeah 
So uh, let's kind of go to our last point here, kind of transition into, because as I mentioned in the intro, you and I don't normally spend a lot of time on our various podcasts talking about video games. I mean, we have. We don't, like, run away from it, but it's not our focus. We focus on the table. So to me, that's kind of why Darkest Dungeon needed to be brought up on our podcast, because... Holy cow, man, I felt like I was playing a tabletop game with these guys. It it has a very table-like feel. It has a very table-like look. And I think the narrator is the thing that also really pushes it over. Okay, we've mentioned him before. I'm going to let you talk about the narrator because you've probably heard more things in your your advanced time playing this game. Talk a little bit about the narrator, which is one of my favorite parts of this. Okay, so have you played Bastion? Yes. Okay, so do you agree that it's very Bastion-like? It's it's very uh, I forget what what's the name of that studio that does Bastion and Transistor super and all giant. that. Super giant. The narrator has a very super giant esque. Like this game would be a lot worse if you didn't have that narrator. Like it's a it went from being a fantastic game with him to, oh, this is kind of okay if you didn't have him. Yeah, so there's the the narrator is actually this uh, ancestor that summoned you, and he basically gives color commentary on everything that's going on in the dungeon and this very overwrought, gothic, um, melodramatic style. And he's got this great gravelly voice. And, and I don't know if you caught it, but one of the things that... And I'm... I, this isn't really a spoiler because it it just gets it it's put up way early in the campaign, but it's really easy to miss. So it's kind of why I'm I want to to mention it. If you're super against spoilers, like don't want to know anything about, we've it. already spoiled too much anyway. So go go on. <laughs> One of the things he says early on is uh, they came after me. And they overran me, and I died, but the letter was already on its way. Well, and the thing is that's interesting is he didn't die to the mob. He right. shot himself at the beginning. He shot himself. Yeah. And the the other one that I really like is um, he says something to the effect of, in truth, I, I don't remember how long it's been since I sent that letter. So right. the implication is it could have been decades or centuries until – that this evil has had to just sit there and fester and multiply until your people started showing up. But yeah, he right. he'll like if your if your characters go heroic, I did my best impression of the the anger is power thing earlier in the episode. Um if you know, if something bad happens, um he'll he'll narrate that too. One of, like if one of the enemies gets a crit on you, one of the the lines that he uses is how quickly the tide turns. And yeah. um you know, if a powerful blow, yeah, yeah, like it, oh, it's amazing, yeah, and it's just it, it's all in this very melodramatic, overwrought style that that works really well with the art style. It's it's a little bit humorous sometimes. My wife loves making cracks about this game while I'm um, while I'm playing it, but even it, even though it's a little bit. There's a little bit of humor in there. It works. It it reinforces the the feel of the game. Um, it kind of simultaneously intensifies like the stress and pressure that your characters are feeling and transfers some of it to you, and also acts as a release valve a little bit. It's it's really well done. The um, 
the guy that that does the voice acting for this it's on the page here his name is Wayne June and I apparently he's done some audiobook work or something I have got to find some of this I want to I want to hear an audiobook done by him especially since it looks like he's going to be doing like Lovecraft and Poe and stuff it's like oh man oh my goodness I want that so bad yeah I can just imagine that voice reading to me like uh, like the like Telltale Heart or the Raven that. or something, yeah. Oh yeah, oh it's beautiful. I need to find that now. So yeah, that's uh, that that's one of the the things that I think really kind of ties everything together, and it also it, it kind of to go back to our original point here, it reinforces the you're kind of at a table feeling. The um the backgrounds right. are all the same hand drawn. Nothing in here is is like three D or computer rendered. It's it's all two right. D models against a two D backdrop, and even though even though the dungeons are uh, completely different each time, the actual look of them is identical. The hallway will always look the same, the back the backdrop will always look the same, depending on which of the couple locations you're in. Yeah, you'll see the same rooms, the the same like objects and stuff, and you'd think that would get old, but it's so well done and it's so consistent throughout because it's just the i think it's probably just the one guy doing all the artwork and um it must be if if this is a team of people doing the artwork that team is so lockstep with each other that they should never be broken well actually it looks like from the kickstarter page at least that it's just chris barasa doing it um it would make sense because the style is so seamless yeah it's um the, the the consistency and the lack of variation actually eh, I wouldn't even say lack of variation because there's enough backgrounds in each individual area where you'll go through a bunch of stuff before it repeats, but right. it's um it kind of reinforces kind of this oppressive stressful thing because you get the feeling that these guys could easily get lost down here. There's not a lot of landmarks. Oh, yeah. There's not a lot of um you know of things that you can use to orient yourself if you are in the position of one of these heroes that's that's trudging through this dungeon and i think that really works yeah i i absolutely love it and i love the fact that you know at its core the mechanic is the same yeah you know what you're getting into every time you go to a place the only difference is what type of monster will you see here? Will you see the skeletons? Will you see the weird mutants and the bugs? Will you see, you know... The horrible demon-possessed, like, swine <laughs> monsters, which will haunt my nightmares forever. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But uh, I I just love the, the whole vibe of it. And then when you come back to the estate, just I love the fact that there's a, a home base to it. It almost feels like, and the fact that you literally at some point will get your guys home from the adventure and send them to the tavern. I'm like, holy crap, we're in the middle of an RPG. Yeah, it's, it feels we're... very much like a and d game that's very dungeon crawly. It's like, okay, we went through and we cleaned out the dungeon. We dragged the rogue's carcass back to town. We got him raised at the temple. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I need and a I drink. And I love the fact... <laughs> I love the fact that there is, like, some degree of permanence. Like, granted, you can bring the guy to the sanitarium and fix the problem. But it takes a week. And it takes a lot of money. It takes a week 
and a lot of money to fix one of the many, many issues that your guys will pick up. Because when you really think about it, if you were really, if this was really your job, you'd be a wreck. This would be, oh my good, no one can live like this. Yeah, this is like, this is like the stuff that soldiers go through in war times a dozen. I mean, it's because everything that these people are fighting is unnatural. One of the craziest things was I had I had a guy who was, his stress level was even low. It wasn't even high. And he says, please don't make me go back there. Yeah, unless they've got like, a stress level of zero. In town, in town. Like, this isn't even, like, in the middle of a fight. In town. I haven't even selected where anyone's going or what anyone's doing. I haven't even thought about where I'm going to send my guys. And the little voice bubble pops up from the, the right-hand side of the screen where all the characters' faces are and their little profiles. He just says, please don't make me go back there. Yeah, you'll get, you'll and I'm get just, ones that are like, not another mission, anything but that. And it's like, oh. Just like, sorry, man, it's your time in the queue. Everyone else is getting fixed up. Yeah. We, but no, I absolutely love Yeah, that. we should talk about this town a little bit, too, actually, because that's kind of interesting. Yes, we should. So when you get there, the whole place is run down. And you've got to go through and um, reclaim these heirlooms in addition to, like, the stuff that you can sell so that you've got, like, the components and the legitimacy to start building the town back up again. So you have to recover, like, noble titles and crests and that sort of thing. And you can... Indeed. Yeah, you can slowly build your structures back up. And as you upgrade those, they get better. You get more people on the stagecoach. You're, you know, you get, um, you know, better... The ability to buy better weapons and armor for your people at the blacksmith, the the abbey. You can train them in different yeah. skills. The uh, the the abbey and the tavern can handle more stressed out people at the same time, which becomes really valuable. Uh, uh, one of the things that we haven't talked about much is camping. Some of the dungeons are so large that you need to camp midway through, and uh, certain there's a survivalist that camps just outside of town that will teach you the different skills that you can get for camping. Yeah. And some of those camping skills are really great. The, okay, this is where the Jester is the best character in the entire game. Yeah, because he is. some of his camping skills are '80s rock songs. Yeah, they are. You've got you've got a reference to "Every Rose Has Its Thorn" and "Eye of the Tiger" for sure. Uh, can you think yep. of any others off the top of your head? I think I'd have to not off the top, not off the top of my head. If I was looking at him, I could say it, but no, I they're just oh, I love the Jester yeah. so much. <laughs> I think I think there's even a little bit of riff similarity in the the audio that plays when you select one of them. <laughs> it's great. Oh, I I love the the the, the just when the the jester is. I think it's a, it, he's either in the third position or the fourth position. His thing is literally called power ballad. Yeah, and you just see him just like kicking up in the air with his lute. And the the sound the sound engineering for this is amazing. It's like <laughs> and it's like you know they he can buff the party or he can um, he can reduce their stress. When he does that solo thing from the front, he slides forward on his knees like a guy doing a solo at a rock concert oh, yeah. too, and it it debuffs so all the enemies. It's it's amazing. So they good. had so much fun with his animations and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the, the sound design right. is really good though and it's it's kind of minimalist which is which is interesting because there's not a whole lot of different sounds there's just some attack noises and 
some skill noises, and yet it still works. Yeah, it definitely does. All right, kind of to to put a cap on this because of the fact that we are who we are. We can I mean we talk about obviously about the game itself, and these guys have done an amazing job. And I think both of us will put huge recommendations on oh, this yeah. game. However, I know that you and I have both had in the past people who chime in because our podcasts are about seeing these things in the Christian faith. And I know every time we've had a, a horror episode or a Cthulhu or, a, you know, dealing with darkness kind of stuff, there's always at least a couple people who email us and go, man, I just don't think that Christians could ever get into this. So I kind of want to end with that. Like, what are your thoughts for those people who will say, you know, there's nothing redeeming, nothing of value to somebody who follows Christ in a game about darkness and awful and throwing your guys up against a wall of pain. Well, first of all, I would like to point out that there are some explicitly religious characters that follow a monotheistic religion. Um, it's kind of a the generic Christianity analog called the light. There, there are even some abilities that require they get boosted. Like, I think it was the Vestal had one of her camping abilities said... Uh, it does this much if they're not a religious character. If they're a religious character, it does this, and this, this, and it's this. It's three times as much, yeah. She actually has right. two different abilities that do that. There's a healing one and a stress-relieving one. But there's there's also there's some interesting things to kind of... There's a lot of food for thought in the game, is I guess what I'm trying to, to get around to. Um, it, it shows how faith can kind of strengthen people. And it also shows with some of the stuff how that same faith can become toxic. Uh, when the the Vestal in particular, when she becomes paranoid, she can say some very kind of um, dysfunctional things related to oh, her faith. Oh, and if if a if a religious character is self is selfish, yeah, I will tell you what the stuff that comes out of it. I had a crusader who went selfish. And the stuff he basically said, the light has forsaken you, and only I am the one who is is chosen. And I'm just like, holy crap, man! I could I could preach a sermon on yeah. this. There's there's also there's an interesting thing in there where, and I don't know if I'm stretching or if this is just my worldview, but you. I think you would agree with me because we come from kind of a similar theological place where a lot of kind of the ordinary failings of, of normal people, Christ wasn't real hard on. You know, he was he right. was tougher on religious people. And it's interesting that your characters, when they come back from dealing with all this horrible stuff down in the dungeons and they're stressed out and, you know, some of them may be irrational or selfish or whatever else, and they need to reduce their their stress they can go and relieve it in this very holy and pious way. Um, or I guess you could say dogmatic because one of the religious options is flagellation, which, you know, is whipping yourself with knotted rope. Or they can go and sink into vice. And, you know, real people do that. You know, real people go both, you know, hedonistic and, I... you know, ascetic when they're trying to deal with life. And, they can both work. And I will I will tell you I will tell you that one of the more interesting kind of thematic moments for me, I had a vessel and it's kind of like the cleric 
you know, if you're not familiar with the term, it's kind of like the cleric character. And uh, my Vestal got a a permanent kind of problem where the only way she can relax, the only way that she was was able to relieve tension was going to the brothel. Yeah. Yeah, no, you can get rid of that at the sanitarium, but that requires money and stuff. And it, it's, you've got this character who's down in the dungeon, who's wielding holy magic, who's, you know, doing all of this stuff. And yet, oh, I, I don't know the um, the specific reference. I'm I'm a terrible memorizer of scripture, but that, that verse we have this treasure in earthen vessels, you know, like people are all flawed. She's got issues, you know. The, these characters She's are very flawed. They all start out flawed. That and that's one of the interesting thing is even your two starting guys who are the very the first two to come in. Your crusader is they're always the same crusader and um, highwayman, and your crusader is a kleptomaniac and yep. god fearing. Right? Those are his two. Right. Which means that he's prone to stealing things. He'll just take the, the loot from the treasure for himself and you'll never see it again. And yet the only way he can relieve stress is to pray. Right. So, I, you know, I, I think there's... And yet these people are throwing themselves into the jaws of death over and over again, despite their flaws, trying to protect the state. And we kind of glossed over this at the beginning, but these people are working for free, basically. You... Yeah, it doesn't cost any money to bring somebody into the party. Yeah, so they're they're going and dealing with this horrible stuff that traumatizes them, and they're volunteers. And I don't, you know, it's like if you can't pull any kind of useful food for thought out of that, I, I you know, I guess you think about these things differently than I do, or I've been gaming too long or something, but that was kind of my takeaway. But I've monopolized this. Yeah, what, no. What's your perspective on this, Mike? No, I mean, you you monopolized it maybe, but you basically said what I would say. There is a lot of, of value in seeing just these people who are just willing to go into this darkness time and time and time again. And I, one thing that we didn't say is that when a guy gets broken, when they're dealing with that, that awful, terrible result, they'll still go back. Yeah. They are broken shadows of their former self but if you tell them hey buddy we need you to go back in there because you know it's being overrun by whatever by skeletons they'll sign up again they'll be miserable and they'll ruin everything but they'll still do it because they still feel compelled to fix this problem and i love i love that nature of the fact that they don't stop yeah well and there's it's it's both it's both their it's both their greatest virtue and their most awful flaw. Well, there's this neat little thing in the artwork that kind of reinforces this. You cannot see anyone's eyes. Right. Every single character in the game, except for a couple of the monsters, um, but all of the humanoid characters in the game, you cannot see their eyes. Their eyes are shadowed. They're behind a mask. They're inside a helmet, and it creates this very kind of um, kind of simultaneously stoic and grim look for them where it's like, yep, once more into the jaws of death, you know, maybe I'll come back this time. Maybe I won't, but I'm not going to say no. Yeah, no, I, there's a, a ton of, of little nuance that really makes all this come together in this really cool story. And there is, there is some degree of like fan service in a 
because I I love the creepy. I, I love the creepiness. I think, if anything, my faith makes it even easier for me to love the creepy because I always pull the this 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 ain't nothing that Jesus can't handle. So I it lets me just completely dive into the creepy, knowing that there's there's nothing that's going to yeah. get me. And I'll tell you what, man. As much as I said that you know, uh, Bostel was my favorite character. He was with me for the whole time. There were times when Bostel would would snap. And when Bostel would snap, there was something that would get me to my core every time. He's a jester. Imagine, if you haven't seen the artwork yet, by the way, darkestdungeon.com, go look at the artwork. But just imagine, like, this fully done up Joker from, like, your deck of cards. Now give him weapons, and now just have him laugh in the darkness. Well, and the thing is, he laughs whether it's good or bad. Or bad. <laughs> oh my goodness, when the when a jester goes bad, it's so creepy. Yeah, because they, they've got that red dialogue, and it's just, ha, 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 Oh my goodness, it's so good. So good. All right, man, we are getting up on an hour, and I, I don't want to go into long. We could yeah, keep we, going. we probably we really could. <laughs> and, and I will say that... Uh, because I really like this game, I threw out on the tavern, our, our Facebook group, and I said, uh, if you guys want, we're kind of looking to expand some of the, the content on our YouTube channel, and that's going to keep going. We want to keep building on that and keep growing that. Well, I said, you know, maybe I'll, I'll do Darkest Dungeons because it's so very tabletop-like. Maybe I'll do some play some playthroughs of me just playing Darkest Dungeon and just commenting on the stuff, because I'll tell you what, man, I can... Even even here by myself in my little office playing this game, I will comment to myself. So, yeah, it's something that you can be watching in the future is actually seeing me start up a game and just share that with you guys as I, I go through. I don't know how far I'll get because I will say that I'm on like my second or third attempt at this because I'll run out of money or everyone will go insane at the same time. And so I'm just it just ruins everything. So I, I, I will say that I've started a couple times. So I don't know how far I'll get, but I, you'll definitely see a, a, a lot of content of me playing this game on our YouTube I am channel. on my third playthrough, and I'm, I'm getting close to accomplishing all of the goals. I need, I've got a whole bunch of people at level five, and I have taken out all but one of the bosses. Oh, I was so, I was so upset. I got, you know, again, it all comes back to Bostel. I got Bostel to th- level three, and I wanted him to go on this job to kill the hag, which that woman and her cauldron. Oh, Ugh. so I wanted to best I wanted worst to bring boss Bostel. ever. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to bring Bostel to kill the hag, and he goes, "That is beneath me." Yeah, because he was level three, and she's a level like level one baddie. I'm like, I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we'll wrap it up. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for talking with me about this. Uh, Darkest Dungeon is available on Steam. You can also find uh, d- various links to it at darkestdungeon.com. Uh, thanks so much to the guys from Red Hook for giving me this copy to play around with. And I hope you guys check it out. If you love anything about horror and just dealing with the, the depth of awful that can exist when you kind of stare into the abyss and have it stare back at you, definitely check this one out. Yeah, I, I recommend this one without reservation.